Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, which, uh, contrary to rumors, is not being shelved for tax purposes. Oh, timely. Might. Yeah, my tax purposes? I don't know. <laughs> if there is a way to make money off not doing the podcast, we're open to it, though. Uh, let us know. It's late. If you hate uh, this show so much that you'll pay us to not do it, we will consider that option. Yes, I can be bored and cheap, which that won't come back to haunt me at any point when they start uh, giving out of context remarks from the show. <clears throat> In any event, uh, we have a bunch of stuff to do, so we're going to try to make it fast, famous last words, but like we're going to power through several topics because we got a bunch to do and uh in a way it works out because we're cleaning the deck a little bit for next week which is our thanksgiving episode where we'll be talking to a horror filmmaker who had a movie come out after halloween but before thanksgiving when it's really a christmas movie no one will be confused not at all and also not to be confused with the thanksgiving horror movie opening around the same time which we're talking about today so Incredible. It's great. Um, Michael Kennedy will be here next week. He was supposed to be here this week. He has to move it a week. Totally fine with us. That way we can uh, kind of power through uh, the award season stuff because Miles is a little bit caught up. Um, I will be uh, done on Friday, which is wild. And um, some interesting things have happened. So let's get the interesting things sort of out of the way quickly. Um, the strike ended. Great. Good. We like that. Very good. Give or take. Well, give or take. The, say, strike, give or take the strike the ended with an asterisk, which is apparently there's some points in the deal regarding AI that a number of members are not totally pleased with. So there's a little they have a tentative deal, but it hasn't been fully ratified yet. Yeah. yeah and whether it's tinkered or not. Exactly. So, I mean, it's hard to imagine that they'd have much ground to stand on if, you know, people are already doing press again and stuff like that. So exactly. I think whatever it ends up being, they may just have to take it and hope for better next time. I mean, my understanding is that a lot of the elements of the deal are really good, you know, improve residuals and back end and benefits and all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, but apparently it's just specifically the AI stuff that a lot of the language still leaves the studios some pretty significant loopholes to take advantage unless it's like really you know unless they're really on top of it yes and i think two things about that not to defend studios in any way shape or form but one i think it's so far off like the actual stuff that we're really concerned about that it's really not i don't think this deal will matter for that i think it's the one after the one after the one after kind of thing when hopefully we'll know a bit more about the technology as well exactly because I remember someone saying, I don't remember who it was who was talking about it and saying, like, in all honesty, the studios don't know what they have. Like, nobody really knows what AI will be good, bad, and different for filmmaking as a, like, legitimate tool. So their point was the studios just give it up for a couple of years. Like, when you have a handle on it, if it's good, present it as a positive. And if it's bad, you'll tackle it. Because the little bit that they've used, you know, some of it – if it was uh, presented differently, like the title credits for something or whatever, not the end of the world. But some of the like re- background actor replacements, um, at least now, they're awful. They don't look good. So they'll they'll sort of naturally not work out. But you don't want to allow them to do it just to be cheap about it. You want to have protection. So if you're going to do that and use a person as the AI, you know, face mapping or whatever, they get paid. And, and we're not quite there yet. 
No, but I think what a lot of this is about is the studio clearly, even if they don't have it in place yet, they're clearly... I mean, listen, it's what is it? The famous line in the player where like, if we could just get rid of all these writers and actors and filmmakers, we could really start getting some business done around here. Yeah. It's, it's that mentality of if they could have a studio where the entire film was made by two people on a computer, they would do it. Yeah. And they would and still it, find a way to fire the second guy. Like, True. And is it like, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Or maybe if it does, we have way bigger problems. That means like we're just a society yeah. that's crumbled even more. And but you don't want to enable it. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where it's tough because it is so new and it is so, like, recently relevant, like, kind of just this year in a lot of ways, at least with the, sort of the big advances in generative AI. Um, yeah. For me, I still think it's one of those things where, yes, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot still to happen with it, but it's also... I take a lot of issue with all of the art that I see around because at its core it is just stealing. And I think there's yeah. some very gray area in terms of the legality of that. And it's hard for me to get on board with anything that isn't regulated in such a way where it's not just ripping off artists. Well, that's that's the key. If you can regulate it so that if you're using someone, right, mm-hmm. their work, their face, their ideas, whatever the case may be, there's there's compensation in place. If it's just you know, not human being background crap and, and, and whatever, and generative, um, essentially the next step in CGI. I don't have as big an issue with that, but in the replacement aspect, yeah, there should be some version of, well, if you want to use John Smith, who's a day player on a bunch of stuff, right. And you want to have, have him be the cop in the background of a million scenes, right. Instead of hiring him, well, he should get a cut. And if it's, you know, I don't, if it's 50% of what they normally get, but you're not there, I don't, is that fair? I, I don't know that, but something along those lines should be there because you're still using them, whether they're there or not. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Some of the other stuff is just like, that's one you can get the public to have an opinion on, right? The, some of the other stuff, like whether they're going to pay you for an audition compared to a self tape and stuff like that, that's, that's kind of a losing battle because you're never going to get your parents to care about that kind of thing. Like there's not going to Joe Schmo off the street. Can't get invested in that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it, and, and to some degree, that's just how things work right now. You know, we don't do in person in the same way we used to. And is that good? Is that bad? Depends who you ask. I'm sure to some degree it's better than not, but I, I, I don't know. I think as long as the theft, the, to put it indelicately, as you said, is taken care of, there are more wins than losses. And, and at some point, you got to go back to work. Yeah. But so. at the same time, you know, you don't want to be striking for half the year and then, you know, just exactly. accept the deal that you get. Like, you don't want all that to be for naught, especially when so many people, you know... We're, you know, having to work multiple jobs that aren't in the industry just to support their families and keep their houses afloat. And I mean, we definitely went into that period where they were talking about people having to lose their homes, which is I want to track down whoever made that awful comment. But 100 yeah, percent. It's, it's, I mean, th- there's, there's ups and some downs. I think even though the bulk of the striking is over, at least until hopefully the animating guild gets uh, everything together next year. Um I think it is just kind of a we're kind of in a wait and see as in terms yeah. of like how the wider industry is going to 
deal with the ramifications of all this. And we're seeing at least a part of that, if I may be so bold as to offer a transition. I think uh, you were thinking what I'm thinking. Go for it. With the uh, very recent uh, drama surrounding a little movie called Coyote versus Acme. Are you saying our good friend David Zavzlov is uh, up to no good again? You know, to quote from a film we'll be talking about later today, that man is penis cancer in human form. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing with him. It's not even surprising anymore. And like, it was never surprising when they named him to be in charge because it's not a, you know, and like, listen, name the, the head of a studio that you like in the history of studio heads, right? Like they're, they're hateable because they say no to things. Like if if that's their function They're they have a fiduciary uh, responsibility, right? It's just, it's not, it's not sexy and it's not what you're looking for as a viewer or as a film lover. So you're, you're never going to fall in love with them. But you know, if you think back to the the Sony hack, right. Mm -hmm. And how everyone got on, everyone involved in that and and rightly so well it turns out you know scott rudin's a piece of shit we we need didn't need more confirmation of that but for example um the head of sony i'm spacing on her name right now but we know who i'm talking about uh, amy um, pascal or amy pascal uh, yes or former yes. head of sony yeah yeah at the, now now powerhouse producer so like honestly she's happier now i think but i i agree she <laughs> she was a villain for a hot second when it was like some of her emails weren't great but like well, it was, it was specifically in. around that like Spider-Man transition era. Yeah, but like I think if you everyone look at... had really strong. Fe- well, in Ghostbusters, yeah, there was there was a lot of Sony properties that had a sure. lot of drama for one reason. Steve or Jobs was the the one. Steve that we, Jobs, all the which, all the stuff with the various Men in Black reboots. Yeah, so like, but comparatively, like there's someone trying to get things done. Like, yeah, you know, obviously she was picking things that she thought would make more money, right? But getting like pushing for Fincher for Steve Jobs. She thought it would make the movie better, right? And and at the time the the people that she pushed as stars, you know, the it, Andrew Garfield's Emma Stones, um several other people of that ilk, like Fassbender, were not necessarily the obvious choice to be an A-lister. So there was some degree of like creative thought process there exactly. as opposed to a simple bookkeeper. Before we dive into Kaidi versus um, Acme, the do you remember the Sony hacks, like the emails going back and forth and all that? Oh, I think about it at least once a day. As you should. Um, we're going to talk about Fincher in a little bit, but my favorite response is when apparently Amy Pascal found out about Fincher leaving Steve Jobs in an article about Adam Driver also because he was cast in Star Wars and she forwarded it to him and, and like, what is going on? And his response was, yeah, I think Adam Driver is wrong for that part, too. <laughs> it, it fits so well when we talk about the killer to be like, this dude has a sense of humor. Like, oh, well, I think anyone who's paying attention has always known that. But yeah, exactly. Sense of humor. David Zaslov, not so much because apparently sense of taste, sense of personhood, well, sense of humanity, you know, you know, all these things are yeah. lacking. Well, because when we talked about, uh, you know, um, our bat movie that doesn't exist, right? Mm. Th- there was never a firm sense on how good or bad it was. Right. And it was kind of besides the point for our argument. But maybe it wasn't good. We, we don't we'll never know. But apparently, um, long story short, and Miles can fill in a little bit more, same thing was going to happen with this this Looney Tunes spinoff. But apparently it's good, at least to those who have seen it. And, well, and, and granted, 
it's that's filmmakers. just it. There was a yeah. there was a set of filmmakers uh, among them Brian Duffield, who recently did No One Will Save You. Yes. Um, yeah, who got to see the film early, and apparently it's been testing like in the high nineties, uh, like multiple times, and everyone who's seen it is raving about it. It's been described as like New Generation's Roger Rabbit, like it's. It, and, you know, it's got some big stars like John Cena and Will Forte. And I think there's some novelty to the premise as well, as opposed to it just being like another Space Jam that would yeah. sort of make the Looney Tunes of it all still an engaging piece of the puzzle. It just it seems like one of those kind of four quadrant, like for all ages, family movies that like would be a surefire hit in any other era. So the fact that they can't wrap their minds about how to market it, so they just want to delete it for a tax write-off that's less than half the budget like it just it's so short-sighted to me yeah well i mean the two things about it one the tax write-off is a problem because and is now being investigated by congress people as it should good yeah because one if they're gonna do it once a quarter or once a fiscal year whatever the amount that they're allowed to do it is that you start to get into like, why is anyone going to work with Warner Brothers if there's a one in, if there's 30 films they have on the docket chance that our film is going to get kicked to the curb? And well, two, and, and I'm not to cut you off, but I made this exact point on uh, Twitter earlier this week is like, if they're willing to like cancel movies that star Batman and the Looney Tunes, like what's safe? And Scooby Doo. And Scooby Doo, like their flagship characters, like what, like, I mean, there's been a lot of back and forth on James Gunn's response or lack of response to the whole thing. And I don't necessarily want to get into the weeds of that. But yeah. all I'll say is that if I were him or anybody who's signed up to work on this new DCU that they're so excited about, I don't know, man, I'd be giving something serious writing. pause. Like, yeah, like, you know, if I'm James Mangold, do I really want to spend three years of my life working on a Swamp Thing movie that is going to look really tasty on the chopping block when they're not sure what to sell? Yeah, you would you would almost have to negotiate into your contract. This is not tax deductible. <laughs> like, well, and I it think has it's to come out. The one good news about all this coyote business is that unlike Batgirl and Scoob, where there was they were able to sort of control the narrative a bit more and sort of push this idea, which in hindsight couldn't be more absurd that, uh, you know, oh, the film's just not good enough. Like it's going to damage the DC brand or whatever. And then they put out the flash. So, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, would Batgirl ha or, or have lost money? Probably at this point, like. People were just sort of people were just sort of done with that phase of like the DC stuff. Well, not if it but, came out when it was supposed to come come out last year. Yeah, well, that's that's everything. Back that up a couple of years. Well, but. true, but that one was originally intended as a Max movie. So if they hadn't fucked sure. with it, it totally could have still hit that, and it could have parlayed into the Brendan Fraser thing, which ended which might have a big deal last year. Yeah, so I th and, I think also it, and it's like it's a little bit of Snyder. It's a little bit of something new. I think it would have easily found an audience, theatrical or otherwise. I mean, we'll never know. But regardless, the narrative that um, it, it was canceled over quality reasons as opposed to greed reasons never rang true to me. And now it seems pretty clear here because of all the sort of behind the scenes uh, stuff that leaked and, you know, the putting together the score and all the practical effects and all and the yeah. animators and all this kind of stuff. Like I think the filmmakers did a really good job of getting as much stuff out there as possible to sort of rally goodwill among the public and, and, you know, the fellow filmmakers who had seen it sort of chiming in. And I think there was a lot more of a concerted effort of like, well, hold on. No, you, you can't just keep doing this. Like this is some bullshit. There was and, a playbook uh, this time. And which, uh, they relented, which is 
not necessarily what I expected to happen. So now they're shopping it around to, it's probably going to go to one of the streamers. Uh, I would love to see it, you know, play in theaters and make like millions and millions just to piss him off. Well, that's uh, why they'll, they'll probably not sell it to a. Yeah, no, probably. You're right. But I, it's one of those things where even if your movie is the shittiest piece of shit that ever shitted on the earth, it deserves to be seen if you spent that much time making it. End of story. Yes. There's no well, scenario where a piece of art should just be subjected to the vault for no one to see after people put time and love and care into it. Otherwise, literally, what is the point of this industry? 100%. Which also that you get into the weird um, like actual rules of what taking the right off is like i know how you're not you're not allowed to ever make money off of it but someone brought up an interesting point of like well is it now public domain like it should you be got public money because of it so is batgirl technically available for free well that's just the thing the idea that they can't publicly release it or make a profit off it fine but like it should be surrendered to the public then i absolutely think that i think if you're gonna do this bullshit that's the bare minimum i still don't think they should do it that way but the idea no. that nobody can see it just because and like our tax dollars have to go towards like them not releasing a film yeah there's it, it makes my blood boil yeah it's absurd and, and and like i obviously disagree with their thought process there but like they tried to rationalize it with Batgirl with, well, this is how much more it would have cost to make it viable to release. And then we would have to make this much more. I disagree, but like, okay, whatever. There's your movie math. And then with Scoob, like the, the original Scoob movie came out during the lockdown. So it never, you know, really came out. Uh, did it come out in theaters? I think it was just a max movie. I watched it. The, the, fir- the first Scoob came out. It was a both. Okay. Did it make any money? I think, it, I mean, it did well enough for them to commission the sequel in the first place. Interesting, because I because I, it's I a direct thought, sequel. It's not like a new spinoff. It was like a, it was the same yeah, yeah. everything. Well, they put you know they did um, BarkBox related stuff. Like there was money in that. So like I don't know why they thought it was suddenly like we can't make our money back. But here makes even less sense. Yeah. But I do think um, it is funny to look at them and go, well, they're gonna only sell it to a streamer if they can help it now because if it played in theaters there might be a contingent of people that go fuck you we want it. we're gonna go see it six times just to make it make money to prove you wrong and they don't want that buzz just on the flip side let's say it tanked right let's say folk uh sony puts it out and it opens to two million dollars or something like that warner brothers can't then be like we told you because that's shitty even for this company at the moment so there's no there's no winning so i'm yeah. sure they wanted to go to like prime or something like that where you'll never find out how it did for real and then they can just sort of move on and hope that nobody pays attention. But um, not great. Not not a not a great way to uh, remind us how uh, problematic the current uh, movie making industry is, even as we kind of scurry to get back to making movies again. Yeah. Not, it's not a vicious amazing. cycle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, on on the plus side, well, it's completely separate, but. The actors are back, like, hawking their wares. So there's some semblance of normalcy. I uh, already have done interviews with actors again. It's wild. It's very strange. Um, Coleman Domingo's already up on the site. Um, Annette Benning and Jodie Foster coming to the site pretty soon. There's some more set up. Um, and uh, the award season um, Q&As and stuff have happened. Um, we'll talk about the Iron Claw in a little bit. They had a waiver, so they were already doing it. But um, Bradley Cooper is out and about already. Mm-hmm. They uh, these these people were ready to go to work, and I I had joked with um, 
a couple of reps at the time. All the directors would, you know, come out and say how much their their talent wishes they could be here at these things. And my joke was, sure, they say that, but they're really enjoying being home with their kids to some degree also. Like, as opposed to doing the the award season, wave their hands and then sit on stage and then go back kind of thing. But to to their credit slash the studios, whoever are doing it, everyone's out. Everyone's been moving this week already. So there were plans in place that are being executed. So that'll be that'll be interesting to follow now because the the I, I don't know if the trajectory of the season has changed necessarily, but there's I think not, there's been a ripple effect, but I think it's gonna be one of those things where we won't fully be able to see what effect it had until it we're a little further on. For sure. But the at least the movies themselves I mean, beyond be, stuff uh, like Dune getting delayed and things like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and let's quiet that. It's not coming out this year. They're not No, no, tinkering. no, they're, they'll stick to March at this point. It, it would be and, silly. And, mm-hmm. and it's fine. Like, it's honestly fine to do it that way. Um, Challengers will go to Cannes, I'm sure, or maybe Sundance. They'll be fine that way. Uh, bike riders might try to sneak back in this year, but I, I wouldn't tell them to bother, frankly. But yeah. That's its own thing. But the race is kind of forming, and that could be the sort of tie-in that we have here. But um, before we do the awardsy stuff, let's let's do genre. So um, next week, Michael Kennedy, like I said, will be on for, for at least the beginning of the show. Um, we won't do it like a full interview kind of thing. I've already interviewed him, but Miles can talk to him about the film and his work as much as he wants. And we'll just kind of chat with him and if he wants to do some of our stuff or take questions or play a game or whatever we can but it's up to him but my uh miles saw it's a wonderful knife so um i don't have to make the joke now of how much you hated it while he was sitting here um which he's a good sport he would have loved that but um let's let's get into that and then we can move into uh thanksgiving so we'll do our horror stuff first Sure, sure. Uh, yes, so we caught a, It's Wonderful Life. Um, I loved it. It's exactly sort of what I was hoping it would be. Um, there's that wit and uh, that sort of genre savvy that was running through Freaky that's very much evident here. Um, I also think the um, having recently seen uh, director Tyler McIntyre's Tragedy Girls, I can definitely see there's a certain undercurrent of sort of the way that visual comedy is used and in conjunction with the horror stuff there's a lot of overlap there um and in sort of the characterization of some of the uh the various teenage characters i I definitely there's a common thread throughout all these different things um but this is very much its own thing it is a full-on christmas movie like yes any any theaters that do like you know repertory screenings of Christmas classics and things, but who want a little bit of variety in their lineup are going to love this one. Um, it's I don't know. It just for me it hits all the right notes. The cast is phenomenal. Uh, there's a lot of newcomers or at least people that I was not familiar with that um, sort of make up a lot of the main roles, um, and I think they're all terrific. Uh, the two leads in particular. Um, I think I have a wonderful screen presence and some really great chemistry that um, takes some turns that I at least wasn't anticipating, um, yeah. but which ended up being a very pleasant surprise. Uh, Justin Long is doing some phenomenal teeth acting <laughs> in this oh, movie. He, he, um, he really likes the idea of there's no burying the lead. You're the villain. You're a shitty person to begin with. You're also a slasher. Like, have at it. And he is, he has a take and he is uh, fully committed. And I, and I, you know, I think we both are into a take 
Like, if oh, you're always. 100% in, even if we don't like the take, like, I will appreciate the fact that you went all in. You respect a it a lot more, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's a choice. Like, I think I've, I've heard Kevin Smith talk about this sometimes. Like, it's not that it's a bad take. It's choice. And a big choice, you always got to respect an actor making a big choice mm-hmm. because it's trust. They wouldn't do it if they didn't trust you. Exactly. Uh, especially uh, some of these these bigger names and, and harder harder sets. I've talked to filmmakers about this and actors. Like... You have to trust that your your awful take that you're going to get there that is never going to be in the movie, right? The the one mm-hmm. to get where I got to go. Like some people need three, four, five takes to warm up. Some people are ready on the first one. Um, those former people probably shouldn't work with Clint Eastwood because your take will be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as Matt Damon learned, right? I think oh, uh, yeah. was it Invictus. He was like, on, on oh, his shit. poor South African accent. He, he had to really get it right. <laughs> oh, shit. I got to do the bad accent the whole time now because that's in the movie. Uh. All right. All right. Uh, well, that's 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 also American Sniper with the baby. Like, did you know that it was the baby? Like, they lost the real baby, not lost, but like the real baby got sick or something and couldn't be in it. <laughs> no, I like the idea that they lost the baby. It's just like, guys, I don't know where the fuck this baby is, but we yeah. gotta shoot the scene. <laughs> well, I think it was. I think it was honestly, we we found a new baby, but it's gonna take an hour or two. And Clint was like, "Use the doll. I yeah. got a sandwich to eat." But that that's that's a very Clint response. So yeah, yeah. I I pulled up the scene again, the watch recently. I was like, "Holy shit, the doll looks fake." Like, no, it's it's well, I remember seeing it in theaters and boy, howdy, is it jarring on the big screen <laughs> because probably I imagine also, you know, Bradley Cooper would probably be like, give me a couple takes. I'll like figure out blocking to not show like the fucking porcelain face or like I'll figure out how to hold it and like do the, the shaking of, you know, I'll figure out how to hold it so it feels real. Uh, no, mm-hmm. we're moving on like, oh, shit. OK, we're moving on. Um, but no, Justin Long in this movie has a take on this character that I don't think anyone else would have had. And I'm so glad because there's not a ton of characterization to it besides like awful mayor is awful. It's also awful slasher, Mm -hmm. but there's something he's bringing to it that I really appreciated. And to your credit with the, you were saying sort of the turns that it takes, it's character based because there's no very, yes, like plot twist, which almost threw me. Well, there's one with uh, the Joel McHale character. Yes, that's that's a but it happens earlier enough in the well, midway through essentially that it's yeah. not Well, and then there's a slight wrinkle in terms of how everything gets resolved at the end. Yes, but you you are waiting for the like But the, yeah, at that point that. you're kind of like, uh, eh, there's no way it's that easy. No, and I appreciate that um you were saying it it is a real Christmas movie, which is not my favorite thing in the world, but no, the but ending I think... of the movie is a Christmas movie ending as opposed to a horror movie ending. Very much so. But I think, and I felt the same way uh, about Violent Night last year, is that if you're going to do sort of a holiday horror hybrid like this, like, I don't know, like, if it's like cynical about Christmas and sort of not taking the holiday sort of at face value, then I don't know that there's as much entertainment. Like, Krampus did the same thing. I feel like you have to make an honest-to-God Christmas movie for these uh, mashups to work. Yeah, for the most part. So, yeah, I agree with you. I liked Freaky better. But I think nothing to do, not even just because Michael's coming. I think nothing to do with the writing. I think it's they're both equally clever. Yeah. Um, Freaky's maybe clever in a in a different way. In a, in a Freaky maybe um, felt a little fresher, whereas this one was like, okay, I've seen It's a Wonderful Life. It's, yeah. you know, you add in the slasher, you add in the contemporary elements, you add in, you know, the very good representation. And um, you sort of have at it, but I think it's it's very it's very fun. It it takes its emotion seriously, even if it's ultimately you know it's slight in the scheme of things yeah. totally. But for but what, what they're feeling is real. 
Yeah, and I think for what the movie is trying to be and trying to do, I can't think of a single way that it falls short. Sure. I think the tiebreaker for me is, I think Christopher Lenz's direction's a little more stylish. This is very That's down fair. the middle. Well, uh, not in a bad way. And again, Freaky is such a specific project that's kind of its own animal, whereas yes. this one, I feel like it's still got a lot that makes it unique, but it maybe fits into a box a little bit better. Yeah. And I think the the Catherine Newton, Vince Vaughn of it all is the other tiebreaker. They're, you know, there's more seasons, so they're they're really going to town on the material in a way that like Justin Long is doing as opposed to our our leads here who are, by the way, are very good. But I think I just there's something about the pleasure of watching an actor or an actress, you know, doing can do a thing, doing a different thing. If that totally. Makes sense. Well, and even Joel McHale, who, you know, I don't know that anyone quite saw where his career was going from community to here, but I feel like it's or talk not, soup. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's not completely playing within his wheelhouse. And there's some surprises that happen there that sort of he's not going as big as long by any stretch. No, he's of the playing it very straight also. But he's uh, he's still it doesn't just feel like they kind of threw him in here there and didn't think about it. Like they, they give him something to do. No, no, agreed. So we'll, we'll talk more about it uh, next week, but Michael, whatever you want to bring up the, the horrible secrets behind the film and uh, let's transition from Christmas to Thanksgiving, which is funny because Michael will be on our Thanksgiving episode. Incredible. Um, what will make it a Thanksgiving episode? I don't know yet. Uh, we'll figure that out, but I saw Thanksgiving and let's just take a minute to think about that. Thanksgiving the movie exists, and I've seen it. And you're going to see it, like, in a matter of days. Well, probably I, next week because of the wedding, but yes. <laughs> but before before we talk again, I presume. Maybe, although hopefully. Kelly's now saying maybe we should wait and actually watch it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's an option if you'd like. Um, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, whatever works for you guys in that term, because we'll talk, we'll talk about it either way. Yeah. But um, I enjoyed it. It's exactly what you want it to be. Um, Eli Roth is really doing a slasher movie and, and listen, I, I love a slasher movie when it's done well and he's, uh, he's leaning into what makes them fun. Um, even some of the, the stuff that like is a complaint about him. Like, I, I honestly don't think the identity of the killer makes a ton of sense to me, but that's kind of a slasher thing also when you're like. Wait, how the hell, like, was that, how could that person have been there? You know, that kind of nonsense. Oh, sure. Um, I find it charming and maybe I just am stupid. So like, once you see it, we'll talk. Cause I have a, I have a question about that, but, um, I we also watching, like, I can't remember what it was, um, uh, over 31 days of Halloween, but it was, you know, it was the Argento films, I think, um, yeah, well. where, you know, they've always got a killer who's got like a very specific outfit, but then it always ends up being somebody who is like, you know, around for much of the time. And I, whenever we're, we're trying to, or at least for me, whenever I'm trying to sort of guess the identity of the killer, I always find myself thinking of it in terms of like quick changes. Like, yes. okay, it could be this person because they technically had time to run into the kitchen and put on the killer outfit and then run back yeah. out or like well, my bloody don't... Valentine or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, some, and a lot of the time it doesn't make sense, but you know, yeah. it's a case. You by don't, case. Uh, you don't do the screen movies, but they're they're They do that a lot. Cause sure. I, I think they mostly hold up in terms of when they reveal the killer or killers that you're like, okay, that makes sense for where they would have been and stuff like that. But you're starting to, you know, part of Scream is that you're playing that game at this point of like, who are the killer or the killers? You, you're you're, totally. you're doing that. And here you're doing that too. And he really sets up like likely suspects as well as like, well, if he's going to throw a loop, it could be this person or that person. But um, 
Um, it most it mostly works for that. I we'll talk about it once you see it. Um, I really like that there's a narrative, not twist, but um, you know, loop that the we think there's a uh, you know the cops are descending on on a place, and it's uh, it's the thing straight out of Saw Two. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, I want to believe that that's an homage. That Eli Roth is like, I like that. I'll do that. Um, also, almost everything from the trailer makes it in in its own way. Oh, from the original trailer? Yes. Nice. There's a there's a trampoline. Yeah, I um, saw that in the trailer. I was very because that feels like the kill that would be like the first on the chopping block, so to speak. Yeah, and it's done differently because it has to. I think that's the other key is everything is a little different. Um, there's there's um, I want to say the original fake trailer had like a beheading on the parade, right? Uh, yeah, well, with the guy in the chicken or uh, yeah, the turkey costume. The turkey. There's there's one of those. Um, and, you know, someone served as turkey at like a feast kind of thing. All the things like out of context, they're like, well, how would that work? It kind of works here. And and the big the big addition is obviously the um, it's one year after a big like Black Friday stampede at a uh, big box store. Mm-hmm. That scene is is pretty wild. He's having a lot of fun. A lot of bad things happen to people in that scene. Um, and, the, and, you know, the, the slasher kills are mostly what you've seen in the trailer. There's not a ton of, like, variance to the creativity. But I'm in. It felt it felt like the kind of movie you wanted out of it. And it's pretty breezy and doesn't feel the need to go, like, crazy on the on the twists upon twists kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's do it feels like a movie we straight out of the 80s when these were popular, but done well. And it should really play Black Friday Midnight forever. I love it. Yeah, I hope it does well. Not that there'd be a sequel, but like I want this sort of like low level insanity that exists to be rewarded. So totally. we'll talk about it once you once you see it. Um, should we double back to the holidays? Uh, we certainly could. OK, so let's do that because you have one other movie besides that that you've seen. And then you have uh, something else to talk about and then we'll do my stuff. So let's do let's do uh, back to Christmas. Back to Christmas. So from one holiday whiplash to another, uh, the other big holiday movie I saw this week was The Holdovers. Uh, now, why'd you see it? Because I know you don't you don't care about Alexander Payne for the most part. Uh, I don't, but I do really like Paul Giamatti. And that was always ah. the thing from day one is like, it looks, I haven't seen him in like a really juicy lead role in so long that that would absolutely sort of put me over the edge. But that said, it wasn't, it's not that I was opposed to it so much as it's just it would never, ever make like my top 10 most anticipated kind of thing. It just sure. It's something I would see out of course more so than out of interest. But yeah. um, that said, Kelly was really excited to see it. So we actually went and saw it on our anniversary on Monday. Uh, you were going to see whatever she wanted anyway. Well, I think it was one of those things where we were because it's been kind of a budgety year. So we were just yeah, like, totally. oh, let's just like do like a nice dinner and a movie kind of thing. And that was what the thing that was playing that she was really excited to see. And I was like, oh, well, you know, this is as good a time as any. And you don't want to like, you know, do something too genre or too or that may leave a bad taste in the mouth for the anniversary. You want a feel good movie. And that's exactly what we got. Um, yeah. I. <sighs> I mean, we'll talk about another movie that I was looking forward to this year. If you told me I would love this one significantly more than that one, I would have told you you're out of your damn mind. True. Though I but, think the other one still ranks as a in fairly enthusiastic thumbs up. Uh, we'll get into it. Moderately more. enthusiastic. Yeah. Um, I wish I liked it as much as you do. Yeah, go um, 
But as far as the holdovers, I don't know. It's a winner for me. It's also so um, not for nothing, but the same day we also uh, for lunch decided to um, loop around and watch election, Mm. uh, which Kelly had never seen. And I thought I had seen until I got about 15 minutes into it and then realized, oh, no, I've never actually watched this. I just thought I had for years. Probably because I've seen your list. Probably because I've seen a bunch of like scenes from it out of context and just I know what the story is and everything. And I just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those ones that like I know was on the list ages ago and I thought I'd gotten around to it. And then I'm watching it's like, no, I've never seen this before. Um, but it was really good. I really yeah, like both of them. There, And so clearly I need to reevaluate my take on pain altogether. Um, well, now, now I'm trying to figure out what was your first Alexander Payne movie? Sideways, which I like. My big yeah. thing is I didn't like The Descendants. And but I a lot downsizing of downsizing was terrible. And downsizing I think, from, is... I think it was the combo of those two and liking but not loving sideways. Yeah. It was just kind of, it's not that I'm against him, but he's not somebody who I would get excited for. And sure. I still haven't and seen I, Nebraska or uh, some of the other ones. Citizen Ruth is the other other one, which like. Sure. Although, it, oddly it, enough, I've seen Paris Je Tem. Yeah. Which is, I mean, not his best work, but like. I, the yes, downsizing is weird enough that I think you'd be like, uh, why? Also, you've seen Jurassic Park three, which Kill wrote. Oh, really? That's odd. Him and Jim, him and Jim Taylor did a draft of that, and they also did a draft of I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Fascinating. Yeah, which I don't know that any of it made it into you know the Adam Sandler movie, but like, I don't know if he was ever going to make it as a directorial feature, but like, yeah, that's a thing. So. um yeah, no, Holdovers is good, especially coming off of Downsizing, which everyone hated. Um, it, it's very much a return to form, but also I think for someone like you, who's, as you figured out, like, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. Like, it's or very... I, I just hadn't seen the good stuff more so. Yeah, tied into Election, I think you, you've seen sort of the, the best of his, uh, of his work. Well, election those, is... those would be my one and two that I've seen yet. Yeah. I mean, Election is so funny and so clever. And I, and I don't and, know why nobody has ever told me that Chris Klein delivers like an all timer of a comedic supporting turn. He's so good. In it. So, I mean, obviously it was made as um, sort of uh, George Bush, Bill Clinton, Ross Perot as a as a sort of the the metaphor. But uh, it, yeah, I think there was probably some timely political references that went over my head. Oh, <laughs> like it still works. Senate, like I, you, you get it through context, but like it shows the senator who she shows up with at the end. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. I mean, that doesn't really matter. But I mean, she's also like very much the uh, at the time sort of Hillary Clinton of it all. Sure. That, that totally. So really does feed into the modern interpretation of it. But, you know, at the time, Chris Klein is like the the goofy, like, don't take him seriously. But like, what if he wins Bill yeah. Clinton of it all? And you have the the nerd who believes it's, it's theirs and, and Tracy Flick and, and Reese Witherspoon. And then the outsider willing to burn it all down kind of thing, which mm-hmm. um, also I, I was thinking about the movie recently. I, I, it was, I think I saw the end of it on TV recently, but I haven't seen it from start to finish in a while. But so I, I was here listening to, um, I think it was on spooled. It was one of the podcasts we're talking about it. So as you know, now Matthew Browder kind of like is bitter about his life and kind of like gets uh, Chris Klein into the race. Right. Why don't you, mm-hmm. why don't you run? The scene where he gets the idea for him to run is while he's watching a high school porn. Yep. <laughs> like, it's also for Matthew Broderick to make that movie. Because he's still... Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because in many ways you can easily pitch it as he's sort of playing the anti-Ferris Bueller. Yeah. But I... 
it's one of those things where his career kind of came full circle when he was still in his 30s and like yeah. there was kind of nowhere else for it to go. <laughs> and like well, I'm not against him, but I cannot think of a single memorable performance he's given since this. Um, I've seen one or two things, but nothing that broke through. Like the, the, uh, the vast majority of the things I see him in now are like, you know, Manchester by the Sea, where he's in like one or two scenes and he's the most boring man imaginable. Yeah, that's that's his vibe. He's like, I'll I'll, I'll drain all my charisma for you because that's kind of clever still. But there's been a thing or two that I've liked him in. Um, did you also know the original ending? So I, I think the ending is great, right? You know. He's, oh yeah, so good. And he's, well, oh and my he's, god, the twist with the custodian is a plus yep. because they they set it up perfectly at the beginning, but then you don't think about it, and then the second you see him, it, it all comes together. Yep, and like. I would argue he's relatively happy at the end, right? I I think so in his own delusional kind of way. Yeah, he, well, he's released from from the, the 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 issue that he had, right? He was he was, he was kind never gonna be, of, although he's clearly still a little bitter because he throws the soda at her car at her. But I think other than that, like I take him mostly at face value for the I'm happy now. Like he's you know the the whatever low level relationship he has, he seems to like the job, right? He's obviously not he he's barely getting by but like he seems to be refreshed if nothing else right the original ending was him and and tracy like having like a heart to heart like he's like selling used cars and she comes to buy it and one and he like apologizes and they talk and he gives her advice and stuff like that oh Aren't you that glad that's not the ending no i hate that yeah. No, I don't think it even needs to be a bad ending. For me, a lot of what I found interesting about it was the contrast between the various characters' voiceovers and what we're actually, like, seeing them do. Yes. You know, like, Tracy's going to do a lot of, like, oh, you know, I wouldn't really let it get to me. And she's, like, freaking out and crying. Or, you know, Broderick being like, it really didn't bother. It, like, it's, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Or just, like, you know, I was really happy in my life and he looks miserable. Yeah. It, it, the one so exception I, being I, Chris Klein. Who's happy as a clam all the time. Who's just, you know, the sweetest little airhead. He, he, Ignorance bless is bliss. Him. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a, he's a bimbo. Yeah. Oh, big time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. But back to the holdovers. Um, I think it is probably not getting um, predicted as much as it's. I think it's going to do quite well Oscar season. Because as we've got more I. dark films than average. And I think voters are going to need that variety and something that just... It's compared to like a lot of the stuff it's going up against. This feels like kind of a warm hug of a movie. Yeah, and I think, it has and a... I think that vibe is. But it's also like because my concern going into it, just based on the trailers, is that it was kind of going to get into like that sort of like treacly kind of sentimental area that is no, the never. kind of thing that I hate about holiday movies a lot of the time. But it doesn't. It's it's you know it, there's a lot of hard truths. There's a lot of you know there's drama to it, but it's still. There's a lot of good vibes, and when the emotional moments come, they feel earned because they're based out of character, and they're, it's it's a lot of you know, you know, we all assume that we know everything about each other, but if we take a little time to look, we realize that a we have no idea what other people are going through, and b it turns out that what they're going through isn't that different than what we're going yeah. through, and there's no um, big scene for lack of a better word, which I think a lot of those movies would have, and it doesn't have any real surprises, which I think is to its benefit. Like what you sure. like the scenes that are happening, you know, the, res the resolution, let's say, for the characters, right? They're all fairly obvious, I think, once you're watching the movie, like where this is going. But they're sure. satisfying. Um, and I think the, the two things I really like are it doesn't try to make Paul Giamatti's character cuddly by the end. He's still a prick no. for the most part. Um, 
and also Divine Joy Randolph's character, um, that would have been very easy to have an extra scene of like too much, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, I think like, they spent just the right amount of time with her. And also, like, now that I've seen the performance, yeah, there's, like, no reason she shouldn't be a supporting actress this year. She's doing some incredible... The scene where she's, like, listening to the record and you're seeing all the yeah. emotions play out over her face and thinking about her son and, oh, there's a happy memory. Oh, but now I'm sad again. Like, and it's all in the it's face. excellent face acting. That yeah. is that is some top-tier face acting, absolutely. And uh, Dominic Sessa, I guess this is his first thing, or at least he's yeah, a relative found newcomer. Yeah, he's fantastic. Instantly, like, very interesting and compelling screen presence and the three of them all just they create such an interesting unit and they all play off each other really well and you know to go back to Giamatti I think it's like one of his best roles in years he's really he's clearly relishing a lot of the dialogue like (laughs) Kelly and I were dying at some of his barbs and like just the sort of shitty way he would talk to his students and there's some really clever writing in the film I can't fail this guy oh don't sell yourself short I assure you you can Uh, (laughs) or like yeah back and forth on whether he's going to give them the extension or not and like all these little things yeah i i was dying at um his shitty little christmas tree yep Um, (laughs) so good the the little touches are great too because like almost every adult is an alcoholic in this movie and it's never like fully addressed but it's just like a detail well it's not one of those things where there's like a moral like oh you know they've got a you know the alcoholism is going to be the thing that gets them into trouble no but if you have a desk detail but if you have a desk, you have a bottle on it, probably. Yeah. Uh, I, I I thought it was it was very well done, um, while being very down the middle for a, kind of like everyone can get into it sort of thing. So I think that does feed into its its Oscar possibilities. I I mean, it has to hit the precursors in the right way. Totally. But, but I think it's I think the fact that it there isn't really anything else in the season that's quite like it will help it go a long way. Yeah. yeah. I, I would be very surprised if it's not up for picture. I think it'll get into uh, original screenplay. Yep. Um, I, I think she'll get into supporting actress by virtue of that category being kind of messy. And, yeah, I think I think she's a front runner. Yeah, no, I think she's got it really well positioned there. Giamatti is like the obviously gonna, the performance is worthy, but he is fighting for that fifth slot. <laughs> It's very funny that, again, he could miss for a movie that gets in a bunch of other places. Um, and that he and is consistently heralded as being one of the highlights of. And essentially, it's it's three characters. If, if you want to take it as the fifth slot is what's open, uh, and which would be whatever order you want. I think in terms of likelihood of getting nominated, I think DiCaprio is very likely to get nominated. It's not going to win, but... He's not going to not get nominated. I think he's at that point. Also, well, it's that kind I of don't role. know. We thought that about Don't Look Up. Maybe. I mean, Don't Look Up performed weirdly, if that makes sense, because it had a lot of hate watching. But we'll see. Um, I would think uh, that Killian Murphy is very safe. It would I be, would hope. It would be very strange. It would be even stranger, especially now that he can do a little bit. Like just enough to like remind people. Totally. Nolan's really working for him. And then I, I think um I think Bradley Cooper will get in. Yeah. Uh also it will be, I think, his eighth nomination. <laughs> like he could have like seven, eight, nine nominations by the time the season's over. Which yeah. makes me think he's gonna win something this year. He'll have Very to. One would hope. Which well, I think will be when you factor in all his like producing nominations and all this kind of stuff, like yeah, it's, yeah. It's well, just, I think that's the way he'll yeah. win acting, I think. But we'll get into it. And then so that leaves your fifth slot, you've got Paul Giamatti, you've got Coleman Domingo, you've got Jeffrey Wright. Three character actors. 
man. And and it, I mean, you know, one would love to see all of them get in, but yeah. that's not the way the sausage works. Oh no, I listen, I would I would I would let DiCaprio miss. He has a bunch, he's not going to win, like I'm fine with that. Um and honestly, as much as I like Giamatti, I, I I'd like two first timers if I could help it. Well, it's hard to be like I would never be mad at like Coleman Domingo or Jeffrey Wright getting their first nominations. I, that's cause for celebration no matter how you look totally. at it. And and in the less likely, but still we'll see, um, maybe above a lot of them, we'll talk about it in a little bit, Zac Efron. Like he is. Yeah, well, he's so he's, good in that movie. So I guess that's as good a transition as any, because this is sort of probably the biggest seasonal question mark that was left. Is that right? That and Napoleon, um, I guess. <laughs> well, I've seen them both. Um, yeah, we can. I guess we could do Iron Claw now. Um, so yeah, Holdover is very good. It'll do. Holdover well. is terrific. Like liked it way better than I was expecting. Yeah, I would be. I would be surprised if it didn't uh, perform well. How well? And if there's wins, we'll see. Um, and actually, just so that we don't do any further jumping around, you want me to quickly give my thoughts on the killer? Yeah, let's do. Let's do the kill. Actually, before you do the killer, because we'll do we'll do movies. You um you caught the end of Loki. Yes, I, I watched season two of Loki. I We binged it over the week. Um, Heard very good things. I didn't watch it. Yes, yet. yes, it is very good. It is probably on par with the first season, if not a little bit better. Nice. Um, it's, it's still got, you know, that MCU TV show inconsistency where you've got your highlights and then you've got sort of a lot of table yeah. setting and quipping and world building and exposition and repetitive dialogue and so sure. forth, which it's, is in it, all of these things. It's also, but, um, from what I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, an interesting take on uh, on Kang with Victor Timely, which maybe is frustrating because you're like, oh, I wish I liked the actor more. <laughs> it, uh, interesting he's is not a, a villain, very generous right? word. He, well, yes and no. He starts he, as... So so the Victor Timely character that he plays is not in and of himself a villain. The implication being that he is sort of the starting point for a lot of the other ones or for the TVA specifically. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of the role he plays within the season, he's actually I don't know if I would go as far as to call him a heroic character, but he's definitely working with the good guys. Yes. Um, and he does have a sort of a big heroic moment that has a hilarious payoff. Um, yes. He's, I mean, there's no getting around it. He's in three out of six episodes and he is very prominent in all three of them. Um, and in the, without giving too much away, we do see him at least one other variant. Yeah, um, they're, they're, they haven't figured out a way to not have Kang if they want to not have Kang. Sure. Well, what it clearly shows is that any behind the scenes drama that's happening, any changeups that are happening have not affected this show because otherwise yeah. he wouldn't be in it nearly as much as he is. Exactly. And apparently um, he's very good in it. Well, I mean, you you perhaps I, I, are I, well, struggling to praise because of other things also. Well, there is that, but I actually don't know that he is. Interesting. It's actually kind of an overly mannered performance. Like mm. I, the He Who Remains stuff I, I thought was quite interesting, but yeah. Timely's got a stutter and he mm. yeah, I don't leans love into it. I don't a love lot. fake stutters in, in movies for the most it, part. And it, and it feels like a fake stutter. It does not feel organic. It, it's, it's, he's too, it's a different character. And on paper, that could be interesting, setting aside the behind the scenes stuff. But yeah. it's, I don't know that the performance quite clicked for me. And it's, it's very odd in the context of anything else. Okay. Um, but 
the the big addition that is a massive highlight is of course Kihi Kwan, yeah. who absolutely steals every single scene that he's in and actually has a pretty substantial role, which I was worried he might get relegated to the sidelines or something like that. But no, he's in quite a lot of it and he gets some incredibly funny moments. Um, Excellent. And you know, Owen Wilson doing his thing. The whole cast is great. Tom Hiddleston doing some of his best work ever as the character. You can tell there's a lot of growth and a lot of development and sort of an understanding there. And um, the last episode in particular, without giving anything away, the, the scenario basically sets him up for, there's basically like half of the episode is basically an extended comedy gag and yes. it entirely led by him. And it's, oh my God, it's some of the funniest acting that I've seen in quite a minute. And just the scenario is very, very entertaining to watch. And then it takes a more dramatic turn that is satisfying for the character. I mean, mm. it's with the it's funny that with the exception of She-Hulk, I think every single one of these uh, MCU shows is ultimately just an origin story for the new costume. Kind of, yeah. Uh, and this one doesn't quite beat those allegations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know um, where it ends up. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, and it's, and I like the costume, even though it's only there for like five minutes, but like, um, it's, it's one of those things. I feel the same way about it ultimately that I did about guardians three, which is that Mm. it is very good, but it's good in the sense that this feels more like a changing of the guard, passing of the torch, end of an era kind of thing for like the good old days of MCU more so than it feels like current MCU being revitalized. Like I think a lot of people are looking at those to sort of hold out hope that, you know, everything's still going smoothly. But I think both of those projects are kind of unique in the sense that like without getting giving everything without giving anything away, there will probably not be a Loki season three. That is what I've heard. they may do a spinoff of like the TVA or some other kind of thing, but outside of like, you know, a gratuitous cameo, I suspect that Tom Hiddleston's time in the MCU is mostly over. Yeah, they found a spot for Loki that it is. I would be fitting. disappointed if he came back because they do find a good an ending for him that really does bring his story full circle in a way that is his, uh, shockingly satisfying. His glorious purpose. Very much so. So, Um, yeah, I'm not big on Marvel right now, but I would say that the second season is worth a watch, especially if you like the first. Totally. I'll get around to it. Um, It was funny that I forgot to talk about the Marvels last week after I said I would, which, as you said, maybe was saying something. Um, Telling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nobody saw it. Well, relatively. It still made like good money for like a movie but not for a Marvel well the thing that's getting buried in the reporting is that like yes it's a horrible opening for a marvel movie but it's also the highest grossing opening by um a black female director ever well which is also part of i think why it got sabotaged let's say um besides the marvel um fatigue of it all and and i I think and I made a point about this too. Anyone trying to chalk up the box office performance to only one thing, you can't do it. There's just too much going on right now. No, it's a perfect it's a perfect storm of there are people who are not super into uh, superhero shit at the moment. There's people who felt like, wait, I have to watch the TV show also, and like, what else did I miss? And then there's also pieces of shit. Um, yeah. And and the combination was not going to help that movie. And I like I think the movie's fine. It's fun. Uh, it felt like a like I, I think I said to you like a like a phase one movie where it was like mm-hmm. the villains crummy, it's kind of the plot's kind of whatever, but you're enjoying the characters and when they're doing their thing, it's fun. I was I was into that. Um, it definitely felt like a longer movie that got chopped down, 
and and maybe the the reshoots were a little more significant but some of that could be the filmmaker some of that could also just be the the current mcu parliament kind of not having a firm handle on what where they want to go um but like is it good yes is it great no but like was i satisfied yes and and you know the 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 future of it all ties into a post credit scene which of course it was so sure. it is what it is well you know eventually i'm sure you'll see it but i'll no get around worry, to I it suppose. exactly at this point you're not saving it so if you have to wait until Disney Plus, whatever, or, you know. Well, and also it'll be out on Disney Plus before the end of the year. So it's not like there's a rush. <laughs> Perhaps sooner now. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we'll we get around to that more when we sort of sum up more of the year. Uh, and now before we get into the stuff that only I have seen, it, our, our uh, inexplicable disagreement. Well, sort of. We, we agree on broad strokes here. Broad strokes, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start by saying we both like The Killer. It's just yes. funny that I love it, and you're like, I really like some parts. And I wanted to love it. You know yeah. I wanted to, but it, it falls just shy of the mark for me. And I, I, listen, Minor Fincher is still better than most movies that ever come out. Totally. But it's also, you know, double-edged sword where, like, when you know how much he's capable of, seeing a film that's a bit more... I don't want to call it a lark or, uh, you know, small, but it is. No, it's, it's, a, it's fair. It's, it's, it's less in, ambitious than a lot of his previous films. It felt it feels like to say nothing of, of quality, just mm-hmm. in terms of the the package. I want to make something. I can get this done relatively easily for me. I can work with a guy I've worked with before. I can get this project made. We've been trying to make it for a little bit. I imagine it's probably taken some some turns over the over the years because I think the um, the graphic novel is much more expansive. Yes. this is this is a streamlined version and taking advantage of Netflix. It feels very appropriate for Netflix. Like I I, I saw yes. it on on the screen and I think it's very beneficial on the screen. But like at home, you're not losing much except one caveat. You probably need a good TV because the sound design is is A plus in the movie. Well, and also, and also in my case, I had to watch it at night because the glare on the TV is going to ruin those night scenes. Yeah, no, he's the night cinematography is is very uh, um, pointed. Let's say, Uh, I listen. I I think it's under the radar. One of my one of the funnier movies I've seen this year. And that did a lot of the work for me. I think you you maybe I think also I wonder if enough of us saying how funny it is maybe poisoned the well a little bit and that you're well, expecting more of that. I I think you may be onto something there, and I almost worry that a similar thing's gonna happen with Napoleon, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yes, which um, is important that I talk about that with you. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, maybe I mean listen, I, I went in sort of now expecting, you know, sort of a dark comedy and so I wouldn't say that anything went over my head in that regard. Like, no, no, I laughed. Like, listen, the you know him monologuing for twenty minutes about all that goes into his method and all the everything that it takes and all the precision and all that, only for him to miss his shot, is one of the funniest gags of the year. Yes, I think like, there's a lot of that though. I think all of the. Um, I think also if you're in the in the if the movie's working for you, and maybe it just worked for me a little bit better. Almost everything that happens is funny. And just the like, oh, fuck, that's what he did kind of thing. Because um, he does kind of fail a lot. And even when he succeeds, they're like, there's choices. Sure. Like, uh, though I do think the funniest line is still, you need help burying that body. That is pretty funny. 
It's a little uh, on the nose, but it's very funny. Uh, that's good. My favorite was what would John Wilkes Booth do? <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, and there's then, a, listen, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. I think the... I think for me, it's just a little inconsistent. Like, yes, there's some very funny moments, but I did not find it funny throughout. I think it had funny peaks, especially at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then it kind of slows for a bit, and then it peaks again. And well, then, when he goes to his um, his handler, that's very funny, also. Yes, that and, the, the Charles Parnell scene's very good, very funny. Uh, like, and that's the kind of I think those that in the opening really kind of highlight the film that. It sets up maybe a different film than where it ends up going after about the halfway point. I do I think, think those are the highlights. You're right. I mean, yes and no. Listen, I love the uh, the whole section in Florida where he's fighting the one goon. I mean, people have been raving about the fight scene very deservedly. That's absolutely brutal and bone crunching in a very it's satisfying a very good, way. Very good fight scene. I love the look on his face when he goes to pull out a weapon. And he gets a like a spoon or something like that. Oh, <laughs> it's oh, like a cheese grater or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's useless. Because he's yeah, like because he also like I, I like that it's the idea is that it's not that he's a the best hitman in the world, right? He's put in his ten thousand hours, so he knows how to do it well, right? But he is just kind of like a guy. He's, he's a yeah. worker. Um, so no, he's exactly. almost he's not like, special. He's just put in the time. Exactly. And so he's like, well, nine out of ten times if I reach up, I'm going to get a like a, a knife or maybe there's a gun in here. Oh, <laughs> I got the cheese grater. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Um. So there's that. I actually really like the Tilda Swinton scene shortly afterwards. I think that kind of hints at, you know, s- some of the deeper themes that are running underneath that don't often boil to the surface. I mean, there's clearly some, you know. Some commentary on, you know, the way capitalism has kind of made someone like this <laughs> be able to do their job incredibly easily. Um, yes. And so it's the same of, with the contact. Yeah. The sort of contact free ways that he's able to go about his thing without drawing too much suspicion. That was another really big laugh line when he orders the, um, the copier off Amazon. Yeah. I think for me, by the time we got there, it was like the 10th or 20th of those kind of jokes. And they were only chuckle jokes for me in the first place. So also, I think that's you, just, yeah. The other, the other big thing was the, um, the names. Yeah. Again, same thing. It's like, it's cute when you first see that he's using sitcom characters names, but by the eighth or 10th one, it's just like, do I know who that is? No. Okay. Whatever. Like, well, I, 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 yeah. it's, it's just, it, it, unfortunately it's a little repetitive in its nature and, and a lot of, you know, and that's true of a lot of process movies where you're sort of watching someone go about the routine or sort of, you know, put in the busy work before the big moments. And I usually like that kind of thing. But I think, I don't know, for something like this, it just I needed a little bit more I, and something more. And I think also what sort of knocks it down almost a whole letter grade for me is I did not like anything about the final assignment. I didn't think it was interesting. And I thought the resolution was really underwhelming. And then the ending or epilogue or whatever you want to call it was weak as piss. Like Um, it it, it was a moment that made me go, what the fuck was the point of any of this? I mean, I was fine with the ending just because I was worried it was going to be a darker ending. It's almost Fincher's most optimistic ending. Well, I think I was maybe disappointed that it wasn't a darker ending because that would have at least been interesting as opposed to not. I mean, I was, I was okay with like, and I'm done. Um, I did find it interesting that with the, the final assignment, the, the quirk of like, what he does or doesn't do by comparison. And but I think some of that is so out of nowhere, considering the people along the way who, well, I think you know. the, I mean, we're on the borderline of a spoiler, but it's not a huge deal. It's not really a spoilery movie. Um, 
that's the person who could change things. Like everyone else in the movie, whether they're alive or dead, the world doesn't change. But that guy, um, they would notice, let's say. So I think maybe he's just a little smarter about that. I mean, that's Could, I think I don't know what a lot of heavy lifting that the movie's not doing there. I mean, the movie is, I don't, I don't I know mean, that the movie does anything to indicate that that's his thought process. I think I think that's just sort of what we're meant to assume. But yeah, it's possible that I I'm I'm meeting it more halfway than than I, I just think I, I don't think part. it's bad. I, you know, I enjoyed it moment to moment, but just I know what Fincher is capable of. And this only got there in fits and bursts for me, which that's those fair. fits and bursts are still, you know, among the most entertaining scenes or moments I've seen this year. But it just it's one of those things where it just felt like so much less than the sum of its parts. Understandable. I'm sure we'll talk about it more because um, it is a movie worth discussing. It's interesting. Totally. It's never There's a boring. lot of interesting stuff in it, to be sure. And, you know, if we're talking about making a big choice. Plenty of big choices throughout. Um, the the sta- thing on the staircase. Big choice. I'm trying to think of this thing on the staircase. Um, a resolution to a character. Oh, uh, well, but yeah, and that kind of goes towards my concern with the ending as well. It's like, why them and not them is, I don't know. I mean, I, that one, that's the only, well, I mean, there's that and there's if the, the point of the, the movie driver. is that If the point of the movie is that he's not as good at his job as he thinks he is, that's an interesting angle. And yeah. at various times, it seems like that's what they're going with. But then like halfway through, I don't know, he just like kind of just gets competent in a way that he hasn't always been up until then. And yeah. there's no real payoff to any of that. And I, I don't That's know. It's just, it was a lot of interesting ideas that I, I wanted to see developed further. Okay. Yeah. So let's uh, let's do Napoleon now just because that's also a movie you're hearing about is funny. Yeah. Um, it is. It's, uh, but here's – I think it's important to remember it's funnier than you're expecting because you were expecting a heart attack level of comedy and that there's no comedy here. Well, um, I was expecting like a movie that looks like it could be a trailer for Tropic Thunder. So – yeah. Somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah. So it's too long. It's two hours and 38 minutes or something like that. I was I was ready. But um, I think the battle scenes are very nice. Um, it's a little weird that they're as epic as they are because he's not in them, really. You know, he's commanding them. Mm-hmm. So it's just people you don't know fighting. There is some real brutality in them that I thought was interesting. Um, they... The horses get killed, which I didn't love, but also you just never see that in a in a horse fight. You know, the horses are yeah. always okay. A horse gets hit with a cannonball in this movie, Ooh. Um, which was rough. But also then he like mourns it, which I thought was kind of he like takes out the, the cannonball as like a weird like symbolism memento thing. I don't know. The things that are funny is like he bickers with Vanessa Kirby because like she can't provide an air kind of thing. Um, and at one point they have a food fight in their yeah. argument. Like. Because she's like, he's like, you can't provide me an air kind of thing. And she's like, well, you're a fat. Like, they're just like drunk bickering. They love each other. It's a love story in that sense. But he's like, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy my meal. And it's something about like, you know, I'm here because of Providence. Providence has brought me this lamb chop. Like, <laughs> there's lines like that. Also, remember, it's Joaquin Phoenix doing no accent. Yeah. Um, there's not a French accent in this film, which is funny because the uh, Russians and British and Austrians are doing accents, but French just sounds like America. 
Yeah, I don't. I know. mean, it's a choice. But yeah. then again, when we think about like, the last time Ridley Scott asked actors to do accents outside their comfort zone, we got House of Gucci. So maybe exactly. this is better. I mean, this isn't as surprisingly like gripping as the last duel, but like I wasn't bored. It's a it's a movie. They you know it's it's an epic, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm down for it. I I don't care about Napoleon as a character that much, but Joaquin Phoenix is doing a thing. Um, I wouldn't call him amazing in it, but I, I do like, he has like a, like a weird, like grunt, like, like stamping his foot kind of thing when he wants to like fuck his wife that he does periodically that I thought was pretty funny. Um, yeah, there's, there's choices abound. Um, not a disaster. I, I, I'm, you know, once we finish this, I'm, I'm reviewing it and Thanksgiving tonight. So yay for not sleeping, but, um, more good than bad. I, I, I mean, it does feel like, and you'll tell me when you when you see it, um, it does feel like the four and a half hour movie he talked about whittled down to two and a half. Yeah, I've seen that a few times, which, I mean, listen, Ridley, if you want to make a four hour movie, make a four hour movie. Like, I don't know, like, he shouldn't have this many director's cuts. Yeah, I mean, what are they going to, they said maybe they're going to release both on Apple TV at some point or some shit like that. I, As far as I know, that's the plan. I haven't read a review yet that hasn't mentioned that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know anyone who is going to want to go watch the extra 90 minutes after you watch it. Like, I got it. But there is a lot of, to- a lot of things where it bounces and you're like, well, you probably spent more time on this thing. But I, I found it interesting and, and like well-made and, and largely entertaining but i don't know i'm not like wildly enthusiastic or anything about it, it it's sure i'm glad it's not a train wreck because that would have been hard to sit through but i don't know i'm not left with a ton to say beyond like yeah it's funnier than i thought but it's not a it's it's not a comedy let's let's not pretend sure. that it is but it was um i would say mid-tier Ridley Scott? I don't know. Well, that's a big ranking, so we'll we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll I, I, I've got way too many blind spots to do a good one there. <laughs> I've got a cut. I've got definitely have some, but it's not it's not the the handful that we all really like, and it's not in the the depths of the ones like, ugh, this is bad. And I don't think it's even necessarily in the like ones no one thinks about. You know, the 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 green zones, the the good years, the like ones that are like they just don't exist. Mm-hmm. For the most part, so it it exists like it's it's the money's on the screen, but yeah, like I don't know why Napoleon, but whatever. Um, I saved the best for last because I fucking love the Iron Claw. Go it for it. I, I had a feeling me. you would, but go for yeah. it. Yeah, well, I mean, I like wrestling, or at least I did like wrestling. I don't watch wrestling anymore, but I I did like wrestling. I like a sports movie when it's well done. I like a you know I like a well done sad movie. And uh, I've liked both of uh, Sean Durkin's movies um, without, like, adoring them, let's say. Mm-hmm. But boy, is this good. Um, also, I, I, I like, very timely in a way um, because it is a movie about, like, the dangers of not saying you're not okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's a period piece of it. Of, but, like, had any of these people been able to, like, talk about what's going on, like, things would have been different yeah most of the case there you know the so for people who don't know it's the story of the von erics they're a wrestling family they're the the patriarch of the family fritz von erick he changed his name to von erick it was his grandmother's name it was the other side of his family's um mm-hmm. name 
and the purported like oh there'll be a curse because she did that kind of thing he never became a champion he was a he was like a a heel at the time a generation beforehand and now he um he runs one of the companies so before the days of wwf and wcw they were like regional ones nwa was one people were aware of they were basically different territories um before they all got consolidated by i think uh, vince mcmahon's father but right so he runs one of them in texas and it's like relatively successful. It's on television. You know, they if you do well enough, you build up to get on to national TV with like the NWA world champion, like uh, Ric Flair at one point is that guy kind of guy Harley race, like names people have heard of. And um, all of his sons are becoming wrestlers. So um, by the time the movie starts, Zac Efron is the the oldest one, but he's not because when he was a kid, his oldest brother, when they were both little, died. And they don't really say why. Like in real life, he like stepped on something that electrocuted him in like a like a a body of water and drowned like in like a puddle kind of thing like the worst kind of ending for like a five-year-old kind of thing oh god okay um, and it's really only addressed in the movie as like not only addressed but this when he talks about is like i would one day my my brother wasn't around to play with anymore um and there's one other thing involving him i won't say because it is something but yeah so that's that's the origins and he's talking about like i you know i don't believe in the curse but um his brothers are all uh his other his next brother is jeremy allen white carrie who's um gonna be an olympian and then the olympics get canceled uh well the wow. united states boycotts it the, to give you a, a measure of the time so he gets in the wrestling their their younger brother is is set up as a you know the next big thing and then they have another brother who's kind of like the scrawny one who's into music. I think in real life he was into something else, photography or something like that. But here he wants to be a musician. He's kind of like a little bit forced into it. And um, without saying exactly what happens, the curse rears its head and they some of them start dropping like flies. And um, one of the things that's just so like shattering is Zac Efron starts to really believe in the curse. Mm-hmm. So like, he um he gets married to Lily James in the movie. She like pursues him. It's very like funny that scene. Like he doesn't really know how to talk to girls. Like they just they wrestle. It's what they do. They're and they're like good guys. They're not like bros per se. Sure. But um when they when they name him, he wants the name to be his his original name, not Van Eric, just because he feels safer that way. Mm-hmm. Or as he's losing his brothers, like he doesn't want to be near his son because he's worried about the kid getting the curse. Just like very oh. like low key heartbreaking. Um, and just the, the wrestling scenes are really well done. Uh, I, I, very, very powerful without being like overwrought and without, I won't say what happens, but there is a scene involving several brothers. I think it's the second or third to last scene in the film. That is, oh, there will not be a dry eye in the house. Um, but then at the end, I will say very, very, um, heartwarming last bit. Okay. For a movie that puts you through the ringer. No pun intended. Uh, just really well acted. Zach Efron's incredible in it. Uh, Jeremy Allen White's very good. Harris Dickinson's very good. Um, the father, um, Holt, uh, was it Holt McCallany? Yeah. Very intense. Like, but not a villain. Like, he's a prick, but like, he loves his kids. He just mm-hmm. very of the time of like, you guys figure it out. Like, I'm not here to hold your hand. Like, I, I support you and all that. Like, like just, Yeah. There's a lot sure. going on in this movie. It's really, really well done. I do worry about like how it'll play to people because like I don't know how you sell the movie per se. The trailer is very good sure. because it doesn't lean into the tragedies, but like 
it is a weepy at the end of the day. Right. I, I had um, I'm not familiar with the story at all because I'm not really I've never really been a wrestling guy. But um, the um, I, I was reading somewhere um, that apparently there is another brother that existed in real life that just isn't in the movie at all or even referenced. Yes, there's one more brother. Um, several of the brothers got married that they don't bring up. I think it was actually really well done in that um, to make a two hour and 10 minute movie or something out of the story as opposed to a miniseries. Would I have watched sure. a miniseries? Yes. But I do think, and I was, I was actually thinking about this when we were getting ready to do this, um, as my train was very delayed coming here, um, that a lot of times these movies, when they skip around and they, and they prune elements, let's say to, mm-hmm. to talk uh, Loki style, uh, you feel the, the void, right? You're like, Oh, that's just for time. I, I didn't feel like I missed that. Like, I think all the important aspects are really hammered home because so much of this is about the brother brotherly love. Mm-hmm. And and as there's less brothers, the toll it takes on all them in different ways that if they had wives and, and, and children in some cases, it would pull them away in a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think it's a very it's it's a pretty um, I don't know if clever is the right word, but deft way of streamlining the narrative. So you're never like really without them because I think if also the, the focus is very much on, on Efron, on, on Kevin um, for reasons that are obvious when you watch the movie. But um, I think too much time with other people's home lives would, um, would fracture you a little bit in a way that it doesn't do. Like it's very um, determined to keep you, following the narrative in a way that works like it's a very like like fun movie for the first hour and change like if you don't know the story at all like even less than what i've said like you 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 know broad strokes because you also saw the trailer sure um it's genuinely shocking when it starts happening there the much of the audience because it was the new york premiere and Mm -hmm. some people see i think were there to see uh zach and jeremy especially were not prepared there were there was um i would say one to three audible gasps in the crowd in different scenes. Okay. Yeah, because it's not it's not like played up as like tragedy porn. It's not um explicit necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it doesn't hold back from like this is what's about to happen. Uh but then the the scene that I don't want to talk about is clearly made up. You'll understand okay. when you see it. But it, it it's so needed i i when you see it you'll understand i want i'll we'll talk about it probably when we do like end of the year like awardsy stuff because it's one of my favorite scenes of the year so we'll just have to get it out of the way then but it also you need to see the movie to understand why it's so shattering but i don't know like you could you could tell it's just something was at play here that like in the way that foxcatcher never quite hit sure like Foxcatcher, you know you're watching a good movie, but it's also like clinical almost to a fault. Yeah. Where it's this like, one doesn't do you that. You know it's well made, but it's hard to say you're enjoying it. Yeah, you're just like, well, I know eventually he's going to shoot that guy, and I don't want it to happen, but like something. Clearly, that's why we're watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. And like, listen, we're watching the movie because this is notable historically, but. Um, there's also a throwaway, not even a throwaway line, but a thing Zac Efron says to Lily James, like in like a, on a date that comes into play in the, um, like on screen text at the end, 
that I okay. thought was also very like uplifting because it is, it is ultimately like a story of perseverance just through like unimaginable tragedy. And also, as we know, I'm sensitive to uh, family tragedy this year. So, boy, <laughs> oh, I did bet. I get my fill in this movie? Um, side note to that, uh, the mother in the movie is Maura Tierney and mm-hmm. she has a couple of scenes that are pretty killer. Um, also, eye acting. Okay. Really good eye acting. It, there's Because there's a repeating scene of her looking in a mirror that you'll understand. There's also like a really nice shot. I forget where it comes. You'll know it when you see it of the various brothers doing something. I forget, but like embedded on each other on the screen. Mm-hmm. That is just a nice like stylish like, oh, that's an interesting way of giving you all of them at once. You'll you'll see. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to talk about specific moments just because it. It is like a lot of the trailer is the beginning of the movie. I thought that was very uh, impressive. Okay, but it's not it's not it's not spoiling everything going in. So um, it is uh, my fourth four star movie of the year. All right. Yeah. So uh, Barbenheimer air. I'm um, fifth. Uh, this one. And I think Killers of the Flower Moon. But I like this one better. So it's my number three or four of the year right now. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I can't wait yeah. to sob. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you, I'm sure will. Um, prepare Kelly. Oh yeah. Uh, but, but you can also tell her like the men are beautiful if that helps. Well, no, she's seen the trailer. She's interested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're also like, you almost feel like cartoonishly big, but the funny well, part Efron is. Efron in particular is given some real He-Man vibes. Well, the, he was talking about like how impossibly big these guys were in real life and Jeremy Allen White, especially he was like. Because he also is like very brutish in this movie. But he's like, I'm kind of a small dude. And he's like, Carrie, um, he told a story that I guess people had told him of. Carrie was at a thing with Schwarzenegger. And he popped his shirt off like to show Arnold. And Arnold wouldn't take his shirt off. He was intimidated. <laughs> That's funny. So when you hear that, you're like, well, there's no way I can do that. Um, but it, like they, it's very interesting. Because they, they have a physicality to them okay. with each other when they're in the ring as they walk that is then subverted in one particular scene that, again, we'll talk about it when you see it. But, okay. Uh, I, I, this is what happens when you have someone like Sean Durkin make this movie as opposed to like, I don't know, I, I was going to say Brett Ratner, but like he's he would never get this material. But you know what I mean? Like, like someone who has just the surface level take on it. Sure. Like then it would be like a like a Tribeca Sundance movie that just went nowhere, as opposed to this is legitimately great. It's an A twenty four movie. Like it's not a it's not for nothing. Like it it's it's accessible, but it's got enough artiness to it that you know why they were into it. I I love it. I have no idea how it's gonna do with awards because it is a a hard sell. But there will be a passion vote for it, I think. And I think under the radar, the editing is a thing here. Okay, because they, they he was saying they shot the wrestling scenes like from start to finish, like when they did in real life, they would shoot a wrestling match and then cut it as they needed. So like finding the rhythm in that. Sure. Um, I was very impressed. The cinematography is very good. I think Zac Efron is best in show. Jeremy Allen White is very good. I know he's having a moment like with the bear. Mm hmm. Um, and something else. I saw him in Fingernails, and I've seen him in other things like The Rental and stuff. I like him. He's a very intense actor, um, which fits for this. Harris Dickinson, 
was in a couple of indie things and he was in the shitty Kingsman prequel and uh, triangle of sadness. Yeah. And like, he's good. Um, and the Stanley Simons, I don't know if I've seen him in anything off the top of my head. He's the younger brother. He has a very different vibe to them that I think was also uh, beneficial. It's a good cast. Um, okay. Lily James. Good. Like the women for not being the focus of the film, like make the most of their time. Right. I, I'm, I'm very eager to talk more about it. I, I'm, not sure how it's going to hit other people. I didn't see anyone not like it yet. No, I haven't heard anything negative about it outside of the one uh, criticism about the missing brother, just because it is so focused on family. But I, I get that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what they would have done with him necessarily. But also, sure. did you did you want a two hour and 45 minute movie? Because I, well, was... I think it's it's more just that there's no reference even. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. Well, that's what I think to go with the the, the wives and children who are not in it mm-hmm. as well. Sure. Uh, but I I was I was riveted uh, by it because the 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 just the the first half is just entertaining, and then when when the curse rears its head, I'm being as vague as I can on purpose. You uh, you're in it in a whole other way. Uh, so we will talk more about it uh, when you watch it at Christmas or whatever. Yeah, whenever it's out. Uh, I think it's around Christmas, maybe the week before. It's one of the sometime last in December. I know. Yeah. So, um, to as you guys are listening to this, I will have seen Wish. I'm sure it's fine to good. Um, can't say I'm like riveted by the idea of watching it, but like, you know, from what I hear, it's fine to good. I don't think anyone disliked it at the the LA premiere or whatever. What I saw when I was in LA, I liked, and then uh, on Friday, I see the color purple. Nice. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I say nice it. as politely as possible because it's not a movie I'm looking forward to. No, I, and I don't have a good I mean, reason I, not to. Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't want to be like against that kind of thing. But it, I, I just musicals are such a tough sell for me at the best of times. And like, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's just nothing. Nothing about it has jumped out at me yet. Yeah. And it's just hard. And this is this is not the movie's fault. No, but you're always going to so. go like, I don't know. Spielberg made this movie already. That's good enough, right? Um, it's like, hard to like get again, excited for, for me at least. And it yeah, like, like listen, um, we've talked about remakes at length at times. Like, I'm not inherently against a remake, especially, but I think the focus should be on like, re- I, and it's never going to be, but it should be on remaking things that don't work. Well, yeah, and that's what to we always work. say. <laughs> uh, and like, this movie got like a bunch of Oscar nominations. Like, there's no, and like, I'm sure I, I know the Broadway show was like popular, but not like smash hit like Hamilton Cats kind of thing. Well, you better hope it's not Cats, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anyone say it's bad. I haven't heard anyone say it's amazing. I, I haven't heard I, anything about it. I mean. I, besides, no one like, who's allowed to say it's an Oscar player because yes. of the pedigree. Yeah, no one who's allowed to say they've seen it has chimed in. Yeah, let's put it that way. Like I, I know people have seen it because I, you know, I talk to people. But as far as as far as uh, Warner Brothers knows, no one's seen it. Um, whatever they know who's seen it, but you know what I mean. Uh, same with like Napoleon. I I had heard going in that it wasn't awful. The, the person I know who'd seen it didn't love it, but it, it kind of tracks. So we will see. Um, sorry for anyone who left questions. We we kind of wanted to not have this be a two-hour episode. It's late, and Miles has to hop on a plane. Um, 
for uh, assassinations, right? You, the killer inspired you. Is that what's going on? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm changing my name to Jeff Winger, and uh, you know, getting some yeah. uh, Ziploc guns, and you know, just gonna make a day of it. Yeah, as you should. Um, so yeah, next week we'll catch up on those. Um, if they were super timely, apologies, but we'll you know whatever we'll work with it. Feel free to just leave them again when we promote it. Um, feel free to leave stuff for us to talk to Michael about if you want. And uh, next week um, we're gonna double back on some of these things. We're do some rankings. Yeah, uh, we'll see if Miles gets the more Alexander Payne things or not. I but promise I won't have time. <laughs> yes. So whatever, you'll, you'll, it's fine. I, I can I can tell you where mine would slot in. Um, is the is the holdover is wide next week? Probably um, right. That would make sense. I think it's already wide, isn't it? I mean, it's playing no, in every I think theater it's, near me. I think it might be next week. Is like the nationwide thing. Um, either way, I'll put up a I'll put up a. Um, a uh, you know ranking the films of Alexander Payne thing because why not the holdovers is wide on the twenty second so yeah ah. so that's of fine October or November, November. we're in November really? again well, it's, it's been well no I know it's just again it's playing at every theater near me it's uh, whereas like we never got the killer even yeah it's in seven hundred seventy eight theaters currently so I guess it'll go over a thousand next week so whatever that works um, I have an interview with the cinematographer uh, coming to the site. Who, uh, boy, has he done random stuff. But I like that. I love I love a cinematographer who does a bunch of stuff. You will, I'm sure you were 0% surprised when I interviewed um, Robert Yeoman that I was like, hey, you shot Dogma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he got a big laugh out of that. He, I'm sure, I'm sure he loves that people love the, um, the Wes Anderson of it all. Sure. But I think these guys who work with one guy always love when you watch something else they've done. Yeah. It's it's part of the fun, and he's he made he shot Red Eye, like he's done a lot of stuff. I don't think oh, people yeah. realize no, he's got that some, he's, he's got some credits under his belt. Yeah, so we got we got more stuff like that coming uh, soon. So uh, next week we'll do Alexander Payne, we'll do David Fincher. Uh, our rankings will be different, as you can see now, um, and we'll see about anyone else there. We'll we'll figure it out. So yeah, Miles. Um, say where you can be followed and um do you want to update people on uh the fact that uh your january thing is actually happening (laughs) well talk about when you brought it to your wife and had to say that it was your idea well you can find me on both twitter at letterboxd at miles on film m-y-l-e-s on film check out my short films american exorcist and once upon a dracula they're both on youtube under aftershock pictures and chase capo respectively uh yeah so kelly (laughs) so offhand i'm gonna be real she didn't take it well (laughs) well and then when she heard that you offhand said and then went oh fuck we'll do it I, I wish it was that straightforward, but no, she was even more depressed that I was the one who brought it up. Yep. Because she had no excuse. She's going to be like, why'd you let him do that? Like, wait, wait, you did this? You did this. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. I, I, I tried to get it on camera, but I couldn't get my phone out in time. But she definitely was doing a no for like a solid five <laughs> minutes. So um, thank yes. you for that. Uh, we'll I see mean, if it's- thank yourself. I well, we will see. I think we're going to need to see closer to the time just how willing she is. But I will say this out of the titles that you've given us so far, there have been no major rejections. So we may very well still go forward with it. 
which is yes. Joey's January, for those of you who didn't listen last week, I just realized. Yeah. All right. So I'll fill in the blanks here. You can find me at Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Um, I guess Threads and Blue Sky, but I don't use them right now. I'll get around to it. Uh, Wards Radar on several things. Um, yeah, so I, I've been, I, I sent Miles, like, I would say, like, three quarters of a month's worth of stuff. Obviously, some stuff will not be available when he goes to look and, and stuff like that. But I have been very cognizant not to put anything in that I know would be a, an absolute no. One, because, obviously, um, there should be some veto power there unless I was, had a real good reason. But also, I, I think the focus should be on stuff we've brought up at least once or twice. Now, do I remember all of that? Fuck no. Uh, feel free to remind us. But um, I think the the list so far has been eclectic while also um, very low on the movies that are not good, let's say. Yeah, I would say 90 to 95% of them are films that I have very much been meaning to get around to anyway. Yeah, and like we'll feel like when we... Um, when there's inevitably ones that you can't watch, I think what we'll do is maybe you'll talk to me like as we're as like the month is coming up or when it's starting and just like have some maybe you'll have some ideas like I know I've never seen this. And as long as there's something sure. for me to talk about there, we'll do it because I think the the key should be like, oh, um, I've seen it. So like it, as much as you might want to be like, oh, I'll catch up on on this Mickey movie like, no, <laughs> I haven't seen it. So don't do it. <laughs> Um, unless you want to do, uh, throw the, tr- the, the leprechaun movies in there, but I know well, that no, we're was, doing that uh, in March, right? Exactly. That's, that's locked in. Cause I folks, if you're going to watch one, watch the <laughs> one, in, watch leprechaun in space. Cause can't believe it exists. Um, but yeah, so that's where we're at. I'm looking forward to that and it'll be a nice sort of palate cleanser as we talk about awards, which will be a uh, fairly consistent thing. I was literally at the critics choice documentary awards on Sunday. Um, very weird to sit at the table where the Michael J. Fox movie won almost everything because they were like one guy who had to go up for everything and he was out of material and like almost annoyed by the end. That's so funny. I volunteered to go like for him, but they didn't let me. I was really disappointed though. They did sausage how it's made because it's, you know, it's not the biggest show. Um, they only had one trophy. So when you walk off stage, they take it and then they engrave one and send it to you. So there's no oh, trophy on, on the table. I really wanted to at one point be like, you guys have a lot. Give me one. Or so, at least no get like a good there. photo with all. Of them. Oh, 100%. I would have I would have been like, let me have like a bunch in my hand. They would have they would have let me. They were cool. Um, but yeah, good times otherwise. So we'll be back next week with Michael Kennedy. Feel free to leave questions. Um and or comments, except for the ones about how it's a like woke movie with people who aren't straight white males in it. And uh, in which case, we'll make fun of you if you do that. Yeah, no, leave comments like that at your own risk, because all three of us will absolutely tear you to shreds. So just yes. be aware of that. I have talked with Michael offline about it, how I think it's hilarious that he made a movie where there's a whole bunch of people on the spectrum of the people that existed on this world. And then he butchers most of them. And that's somehow not good enough for you. No, I know. Like, it's... There's no pleasing people like that. They never want to have to think about anything besides themselves. Not at all. Um, And uh, if you feel that way, you're part of the problem. So that's a great way to leave it on. Um, We will uh, see you uh, at the movies next week with Michael Kennedy. Woo! Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.